radio program created by Rio Grande. Officers of police calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 174. Investigate an explosion and fire at 753 Overland Avenue. That's all. Give forth a strange odor. 
pausing for an instant before one of these. The man reaches into his pocket, extracts the cigarette, reaches again, returns with a match. For a moment, he stands looking about. Then with a quick gesture, strikes the match on the nearby tank. His cigarette lifts. Another quick gesture sends the smoldering match sailing across the room to land in a maze of winding copper pipes where it lies sputtering feebly, slowly dying out. Then suddenly it comes to life again with renewed vigor. Seems to gain strength. It ignites a thin trickle of liquid that runs from a leaf in one of the grotesque looking tanks. Deliberately, a thin trail of flame licks a path across the floor, greedily devours the fuel before it, heads directly for the base of the tank. And as it reaches the groping feet of the flame up to the source of its food, the man turns, sees it, makes one desperate lunge, bare hands outstretched as though to smother it. But as his fierce, crazed eyes watch, the flame reaches its destination. Rings is a brief split second. Then. For miles around, hearing the ground city explosion rush from their homes, find the sky tinged with red as huge flames shoot hundreds of feet into the air above all the remains of the old barn. And in the fire station, an alarm bell informs fire chief Frank Wilson of the explosion. Galvanizes a sudden action every available piece of fire equipment. Captain of Detective R.F. Lynch, accompanied by several officers from the Culver City Police Department. They are making a few very similar explosions. Some of the gallons of alcohol in there, dead and tank. No funny left. I was just going to scream in there. I just got to be a I heard it. Yeah, I know. I couldn't get any mistake about it. It's awful. Not much chance of anybody being alive inside that furnace. I wish I could clear space to have a fire. Come on, let's go. Right. Well, frankly, I don't know. 
Hold that flash here while I look him over. Okay. Yeah. No chance of anybody recognizing by his face, that's certain. No clothing left. Hey, bring that flash down here a little closer, will you? Yeah, that's got it. What's up? Huh. Looks like a tattoo mark here on the back of his arm. You see here where it isn't burnt? Manila. E I Yeah. Uh, you think? 
still get anywhere with a fingerprint out there, people? Oh, I don't know, Judge. But a chance. Mitchell's pretty enthusiastic over it. No power there. Without the silent lead, I've ever heard of it. Yeah. Hello, what's this? You find something? I don't know. Looks like an old watch. Yeah. What do you Anything in it? Oh, some papers. Let me see. There's an old speed ticket. Only oh, wait a minute. It's not so old. Made out on December 8th. That's the day before yesterday. Yeah. See if I can make out the name on it. Harry A. H. O. Howard. Harry A. Howard. Well, you remember that name, don't you, Judge? Yeah. Hey, wasn't he the fellow who had up a bootlegging a couple of times? Right. Lynch and I have been trying to connect him with some big time still for a long time. And it looks like you were right. Hmm, let's see what we got here. Nearby, what is your name? Yeah, and here's the officer's name again. Say, I've got an idea that this little ticket is going to make a lot of difference in this case, Judge. <laughs> traffic officer proves conclusively that the Howard on the traffic ticket and the Howard to tell knows are one and the same man. With this knowledge, to tell her he's back to Culver City and forms Lynch his discovery. Then the two officers settle down to await the arrival of Nuremberg and the start of their identification experiment. And at 10 the next morning, after a ceaseless night, a week of fingerprint experts hurry to the morgue. How are you going about this in Nuremberg? Well, the first thing we've got to do is strip the skin from the fingertips. And we've got to be careful doing it, too. That's the first place we can go wrong. What do we do with it when we get it? Soak it in alcohol for three days. That should restore it to a fair degree of normality. At least enough to party. Then, if everything goes well, we photograph the results and get a set of fingerprints. Of course, the odds are that we won't get anything. But there's that one chance. I've got a hunch it'll work, Nuremberg. A strong hunch. And so far, my hunches have been 100% right. Come on, let's get started. So, throughout the morning, Nuremberg works like some skilled surgeon, carefully removing the tarred skin from the two fingertips, jealously placing them in a container of alcohol to soak. It is a nerve-stretching task, and when, toward the afternoon, Hesford straightens up from his work, so now since the first step of the experiment finished, both to Shell and Lynch with a long, suppressed sigh of relief. So far, so good. And now, with three long days to wait, Lynch and Shell pick up the former thread of evidence. Start a man hunt for the man behind the sill, Harry A. Howard. At first, they make another search of the burned hill. Discovered a metal waste paper container buried under a pile of hard embers. In it, they find several scraps of torn paper. Yeah, only these scraps aren't left. Look more like the sheep. 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 We're on the right track. Now all we've got to do is to find Howard and pin it on. He won't have a leg to stand. But finding the ex bootlegger, Harry Howard, isn't as easy as it seems. For two days, the men track down all his known haunts and find the same answer. Howard has not been seen for some time. Several friends of his have brought in questions, but each one denies any knowledge of Howard's whereabouts. And by the morning of the third day, Lynch and Tuchel begin to realize that things are not just what they might be. And now the search for Howard is put aside for the continuation of Nuremberg's experiment. In his laboratory in Los Angeles, Lynch and Tuchel watch anxiously 
as the scientist begins the second step, that powdering the now hair is soaked in You see here how the skin is turned white, resumed its appearance of human skin rather than softness. Oh, yeah. I can tell what it is, all right. Now, the next thing is to make the tiny indentations or lines stand out. You see, unlike the usual method of fingerprinting, that is, rolling the fingers in ink and then getting an impression from pressure on a pad, We've got to photograph these tiny pieces. Naturally, the way they are, there's no contrast. Everything looks white. So we take this soft powder preparation, so, and dust it into the crevices. Then we blow off the exert. And there you see a perfect fingertip. I'm George Nuremberg. You've got something. There. I hope so. Well, what now? What about that? That's right. This lens is specially constructed to take sharp close-up pictures of small objects. Now, I'm going to set this glove-like fingertip on the end of this pencil. So, set it up here with this light on it. Like this. You mean you're going to have to set each one up like that and take a picture? That's right. Slow, but if it works, sure. The page of Nuremberg photographs to the five ships of one hand, receipts with the five from the other. And at last, after two hours of careful work, the place for sense to be developed and printed. Then, taken for the results, Lynch and Hotel go with them. Watch quietly as the negatives are developed. Wait eagerly as the first carbon print begins to trace a pattern on the white sheet of photographic paper. Let's see, sir. There's something coming out. Yeah, tiny little circular lines. Fingerprints. Why, it's almost unbelievable, then, that anyone could stop with what Nuremberg had and finish with it. A perfect set of prints. Now that we've got them, they might be useless. That's right. Only somehow I have a feeling... Yeah. So, uh... Well, there you are, Lieutenant. A perfect set. Clean as a whistle. How long do we have to wait now? About five minutes. Just till they get a hypo bath to fix them. Then they're all yours. Perfect. Only if you could make that four minutes, I'd appreciate it. My nose is at the point now with one extra minute, and I think they'll bust. <laughs> okay, Lieutenant. I'll see what I can do. Can't have any busted nerves lying around here. No room for them in a dark room. <laughs> and in the allotted time, Lynch and Trussell find themselves in possession of a long-awaited prince. Immediately, they start the first move towards an identification. Started checking with the files in the Los Angeles Sheriff's fingerprint bureau. Also, a copy of the prints with a description of the tattoo marks found on the dead man's arm is sent to the War Department with a request for information regarding fame. And in the court time, their search for the files comes to an abrupt end as a card bearing the name James C. Duane. An identical stunt, set of fingerprints comes to light. Every classification is identical. Under the name, there is a line which reads, Hell for San Francisco Police in connection with diamond theft. Obviously, that dead man is no other than one James C. Duane, next diamond thief. Then, two days later, word comes from the War Department. He had telephoned. Regarding your request for information, fingerprints and general description, that of one Dennis James Curtis, enlisted in the United States Navy from San Francisco, April 16, 1919. Discharged May 1920 for dance conduct. Home address given is 3420 San Jose Avenue, Alameda, California. Respectfully, George A. Holmes, commander in charge of Naval Personnel, Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. 
In response to a telegram, Duane, alias Curtis's father, makes the trip down from Alameda, identifies his son's remains, and puts an end once and for all to all speculations as to his identity. And Lynch and Trousseau begin a minute search for the missing Howard. But this time as before, their efforts are blocked at every turn. No one knows where Howard is. No one knows anything about his connection with the burned still. No one apparently knows anything, and at last, after two months of constant speaking, the officers conclude that their man has left town for good. Relapsed in their person. Then one day, Lynch receives a call from a constable he knows, a call asking his assistance in staking out a house in the West Adams district in order to catch a man wanted on a theft charge. Accordingly, Lynch drives over and meets the constable. Casually, he looks over the arrest warrant. Then suddenly stiffens to attention. Hey, is this the fellow you're going after? Yeah, what? Harry Albert. Harry Howard's brother-in-law. Yeah, who's Harry Howard? A gent Trussell and I have been looking for for months. He's allowed to have one of the biggest steel outfits in town. I've got a warrant for his arrest right in my pocket. Been carrying it there just in case I happen to run into him sometime. Hey, what's this Albert got to do with him? He's mixed up with him and a couple of bootlegging rats we never hired on. Seems to be his brother-in-law. Nice family. Albert's is one for all of us in Los Angeles. Yeah, let's get back to this house. I'd like to give it to one fellow and see if I can get a lead as to where Howard is. That's one person I'm anxious to get my hands on. Yeah, probably won't find anything. People like this aren't have to leave their calling cards lying around. However, I still want Albert, so let's go. <laughs> Once at the house, Constable Jennings and Lynch, finding no one home, make a quick search. Finding a drawer in the bedroom, something that pleases Lynch immensely. This has got it. Just the thing I've been looking for. Oh, what's that? This letter here from Harry Howard with a return address in Ontario, California. <laughs> and I thought he was smart. Come on, Jennings. We're going to take a fast tour to Ontario. What, now? I bet they're alive now. I'm not wasting any time. Two months I spent looking in every alley, hot stuff, pool hole, and bootlegging joint. And now it looks as though maybe I'll find him. Come on, next stop on Ontario. Not wanting to waste the time necessary to return to Culver City and locate Trussell, Lynch and his companion, Constable Jennings, start a mad drive to the foothills town of Ontario. Mile after mile, they drive at breakneck speed, and inside of 30 minutes, they pull to a grinding stop in front of the Ontario police station. A brief stop there, long enough to enlist the aid of a local officer. And they resume the journey. This time, stopping down the street from a small white house, bearing the address found in the letter. Quietly, Lynch makes the plan. This is instruction. There's no way of telling how many we're going to find in there. But the way I've got to figure, if we surprise them, we'll have a good chance of grabbing them before they know what's happening. It sounds logical, huh? Jennings, suppose you take the west side of the house. Right. Near the back door. I'll go in the front way. Right. You hear me inside? You come in through the back door fast. They start out first, nail them. Don't let anyone get away until we know who we have. Understand? Perfect. Okay, and be careful. I don't know much about this, Harry lad. But I understand he carries a gun. And he isn't particular who he uses it on. Keep that in mind. Yeah, don't worry. I'm not anxious to get food, lad. Okay, then. Let's go. Slowly, quietly, the three men approach the little white house. Wordlessly, Jenny takes his position at the side, under the windows. The Ontario officer at the back door. Then, with all in readiness, Lynch eases up the front steps onto the porch. Quietly tries the door, finds it locked. 
A moment's hesitation. Then his mind made up. Lieutenant Lynch goes into 215 pound action. Here, there we are. All of it.
Whitman's name, bidding you good night for Rio Grande.